Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 136, verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Father, we thank you so much that your loving kindness is everlasting and and that it never stops and that it's always with us and that you're always with us. And Father, we just pray that you would um, be with us now as we hear Brent's message. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you have to say. And Lord, use him as a vessel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You're good. All right. For those who, uh, who may not know, may have come in a little bit late, um, Pastor Rick was supposed to be here this morning. He's supposed to be up here preaching right now rather than myself. He, uh, he woke up not well at all, um, sick, very sick. And I knew this was going to happen one day. I just didn't expect it like today. But um, anyway, anyway, we're, here's where we are. We're, uh, we're here together. We're going to open up God's Word. We're going to read it. We're going we're to preach it, and, uh, and we're going to pray for God to be glorified. Um, I am glad to be here this morning. I am very thankful uh, for this place. I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for Anthem Church. Uh, I'm thankful for the grace of God. There's numerous, numerous things that, uh, that I am thankful for. And as always, it is an honor to be able to stand up here and proclaim God's word to you, to be able to, to give you some little bit of truth uh, that I may have gleaned from the scripture. So I'm very thankful uh, to be able to be up here this morning and that God has allowed me this opportunity. Um, but with that being said, I want to ask a question. Uh, I do want to ask you guys, what are you thankful for? Just something to think about, something to ponder. What are you thankful for? Um, if we were to stop right now and just go around the room and just ask everybody, what, what are some of the things you're thankful for? What would they be? You know, what, what are those things that, that run through your mind when you think about that? Now, don't worry, we're not going to do that or anything. I'm not going to stop and, and do anything like that. I just want you to think about it. Uh, for me, I will say right now, for me, one thing I'm very, very thankful for is technology, quite honestly. This morning, as we stand here, as I stand here right now, I am extremely thankful for th technology. Because if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be able to print out these notes <laughs> right now to be able to preach this message. Um, but thankfully, God has provided technology for us to be able to store things online and that kind of stuff. So I was able, on the way here, to think, okay, what message have I preached that I could do this morning? I thought of one, got here, pulled it up, printed it out, went over it, looking at it, that kind of thing. So I am extremely thankful for that this morning. But seriously, what, what are some of the things that you're thankful for uh, today? Um, and I'm sure the wheels are turning and there's just all kind of things that, that are going through our mind when we think about those things that we are, are most thankful for. Um, and since we do have all those things that we, do, that we are thankful for, because uh, they are numerous, I'm certain, who is it that gets the recipient of that thanks? Does that make sense? When, when you say, man, I'm thankful for such and such, who is the one that receives that gratitude? Where, where, does, that, where does that gratitude go? Where does that thankfulness go to? And I would say that probably depends on what it is you're thankful for, right? Depending on what the item is, what the situation is, whatever it is, would depend on where the thanks goes. Does that, does that make sense a little bit? I'll give you an example. When Krista and I go out to eat, I drink sweet tea. I love sweet tea, all right? 
So I'm sitting there and I'm eating and my server comes by and she refills, he or she refills my sweet tea. I'm thankful for that. I'm extremely thankful when they stop by and refill my sweet tea. But I don't look across the table to my wife and say, thank you for refilling my sweet tea. That thanks goes to my server. I tell them, thank you for doing that. So do you see what I'm getting at? It depends on what the situation is and what you're thankful for as to where that thanks goes. But let's flip it around a little bit. Let's flip it around a little bit because it's easy to give thanks and be thankful for the happy things. My, my sweet tea being refilled, right? It's easy to be thankful for those things. But what if it's a situation where it's hard? Things have gotten challenging. Things are tough. So what about when things are not really that good? What about when you're up against a wall? You have, you have run out of money, but there's still a week or two left in the month. What about when you get up and go to work only to find out, wow, this is my last day because they just let me go? What about those kind of situations? How, who, do you, who are you thankful for in that? What if you get a phone call and you find out your, your child is sick or hurt or even has been killed in a car accident or something? Where does the thanks go for that? Is there anything to be thankful for in those situations? Is there thanks to be had in that kind of stuff? In those moments, where is your thankfulness? Is it even there? So that makes it a little bit harder to answer, doesn't it? It's easy to be thankful when things are good. It's a lot harder for Rick, I'm sure, this morning to be thankful for much of anything. Right? It's just, it's hard to be thankful in those kind of moments. So let's go to the scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about this. Go to Psalm 136, uh, page read the first three verses. Just a second ago, we're going to look at that entire psalm, some big sections of it, and I just kind of walk through this a little bit this morning. So Psalm chapter 136, and when Paige read that, um, you'll notice a, a trend that kind of goes through this psalm. Each verse has two sections in it. It has one part, and the first three verses say, give thanks to the Lord, blah, 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 so forth and so on. And the second part, and it's the same throughout every verse, for his loving kindness is everlasting. If you have an ESV, it probably says, for his steadfast love endures forever. So depending on what version you have, it's the same kind of thing. It's a repetition. It keeps repeating what it says there. And the reason that is is because it's actually more like a song that was being read. And it would have been read as a responsive reading where somebody would get up in front of the congregation, they would read that first line, and then the congregation would respond with, for his loving kindness is everlasting, or for his steadfast love endures forever. So it's a call to be thankful to God. Okay, it's a call to be thankful and give praise to God for what he's done. Now what he does in these first three verses, what the psalmist has done is, he, gives, he calls this call to give thanks to the Lord, to the God of gods, and to the Lord of lords. Okay, and there's a reason he's done that. Those are three different names for God that he's using there. Okay, names are very, very important, especially in ancient culture. Names meant a lot. Okay, not so much it doesn't seem like today, but then they meant a tremendous amount. So these are three different names that this psalmist is using for God. In verse 1, 
the word translated Lord, and it's in your Bible, it probably is capitalized, all four letters, L-O-R-D. That is the translated name Yahweh. Okay? It's the proper name for God. It means self-existent one. Okay? For someone to be self-existent, they need nothing from anybody in any way, shape, or form. Okay? So this is the name Yahweh. He has no need for anything or anyone else. He, he exists because he's God and not because of anything else. Okay? In verse 2, he goes on and he says the name, it says the God of gods. Now the term God there is translated from the word Elohim. Okay? Elohim gives a designation as uh, God being judge or one being all-powerful. Okay? It's the same name that's used for God in Genesis when the world is created. Okay? He is the all-powerful being that creates everything. Okay? So you've got Yahweh, the proper name for God, self-existent one, Elohim, the God of everything, the all-powerful God. And then in verse 3, the last name that he uses in this section is the name Adonai. It's translated Lord, capital L, little O-R-D. It distinguishes God as the master or ruler of everything. So he's in control. He's the one that is over everything. He's in, in control of everything there is. Okay, so it brings this idea that, that God is Lord. He has lordship over our lives. Okay, he's the one that makes, he calls the shots. He's the one that, that calls the shots for us. Okay, so the psalmist gives these three different names for God, but just before each one, he says, give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. So he starts with this call to give thanks rather than giving some circumstance as to why they should give thanks. He just says, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God of gods, so forth and so on. Okay, so give thanks to Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai. So by phrasing it that way, he's literally saying that no matter what your situation is, give thanks to God. The, the circumstance, the situation you find yourself in is irrelevant to who God is, okay? The thanks goes to Him all the time. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever it is, the thanks goes to God, no matter where we find ourselves. Does that make sense? Everybody kind of flowing with that a little bit? But why is that? Why would he, why would he say, or why should we give thanks in every circumstance no matter what? Because that's hard. That's, that's a difficult thing to do, to give thanks when things are not going very well. Okay? But he says it's because he is good. Give thanks for he is good, the psalmist writes. Okay, so the motivation for our thankfulness is not the circumstances we find ourselves in, but it's in the existence of who God is. It's in God being who he is rather than what we find ourselves in. Okay, he says his, his goodness is not a result of something we do, it's a result of who he is. That is the reason we should give thanks. A great preacher from England named uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he, uh, he wrote this and said this about God and the goodness of God. He said, essentially, he, being God, is goodness itself. Practically, all that he does is good. Relatively, he is good to his creatures. He says, let us thank him that we have seen, proved, and tasted that he is good. 
He is good beyond all others. Indeed, He alone is good in the highest sense. He is the source of good, the good of all good, the sustainer of good, the perfecter of good, and the rewarder of good. For this, He deserves the constant gratitude of His people. So God deserves our thanks being given to Him. He deserves our praise being given to Him just because He's God. Just because He is good above everything else. No matter what else is happening, no matter what else is going on, He is good. So I think that quote sums up the, uh, the goodness of God pretty, uh, pretty nicely. Um, but it's not only that, that He is good, there's this other little phrase that gets repeated throughout this entire psalm. Okay, as you continue reading through it, and it's the one that gets repeated in every verse, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And that phrase alone is just loaded with meaning and with just literal goodness. I mean, it's just, it is just overflowing with that. Now, this term, loving kindness, when the Bible says that, it's a translation of the Hebrew word, and I hope I say this right, hesed. It's the word hesed, okay? It's a word that literally, there is no English word that can translate what that word means. Okay? People, they've tried, they've done everything they can to, to figure out how to put that term and what it actually means into English, and we just can't do it. It just, there's nothing that can do that. Okay? So some words that have, that have been used are things like uh, uh, loving kindness, um, steadfast love, uh, grace, mercy, faithfulness, reliability, goodness, devotion, and even fidelity. But none of those words can quite do that term justice. Okay, so this, this loving kindness of God, this hesed that he has, is itself our greatest need. It's the greatest thing that we have need of because without God lovingly and caringly displaying this for us, we have no hope. We have no hope if He does not express this toward His people. We have nothing to hope in. And the fact that He does show us this tremendous love, though we're not deserving of it, okay, though we're not deserving of this, is definitely cause for us to give Him thanks and give Him praise. So it goes back to thanks be to God because He is good. That is the sole reason for that. So the plea has been made. He has made this plea to give thanks to God because He's good and His, His love endures forever. Okay, and that's the, those are the only reasons that are given. There's no specific, nothing specific that He talks about anything. In those first three verses, He just says, give thanks to God, His love endures forever. That's all He's saying. Give thanks to God, His love endures endures forever. Okay, so those are the only reasons that are given. Those are the only things that he says. But then our skepticism tends to kick in, right? Mine does anyway. It it happens for me. Um, Because we have this show me mentality. I'll give thanks when something is deserving of my thanks. When I see something that has happened to cause me to give thanks, then I'll give thanks. Does that make sense? We're just, uh, we're, we got this mentality of show me, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of thing. That, that's kind of how we, we look at it. We need proof. We want to be shown. 
we want to know that there's some reason for us to give this thanks. And the psalmist knows this. The, the psalmist writing this passage, this, this particular chapter of the Bible, he knows this about people. He understands that we have this need to be shown. Okay? So what he does is he reminds us. We have to constantly be reminded. He continues to remind us throughout this passage or throughout this chapter because we're forgetful people. We forget what God has done for us. We forget to look back and see what he has done to see how he has been so good to us. Okay, and that's the same way with the people who were, he was writing this psalm to. They're, they're forgetful people. We read that throughout the scriptures. The people of Israel, God's people, they were forgetful, constantly having to be reminded of things. So in order to remind them of who God is and that he is good and that his love endures forever, he just walks them back through everything, all the way back from creation through how God has delivered them from Egypt and going into the promised land and all this kind of stuff. He just walks them through all that stuff through the next 19 verses or so. Okay, and he, he focuses on pretty much three of the more significant um, events in their history, more or less. It's kind of what he, what he focuses on to, to show this. So look at verses 4 through 9. Okay, look at verse, verses 4 through 9. And uh, he writes, um, he writes, to, to him alone, to him who alone does great wonders. And I'm just reading the first part of each verse. To him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night. He's talking about creation. He's gone all the way back to creation. God's goodness is seen in creation. So it is as if he is saying, can any of you guys do that? You know, that's what he's saying. Can, can any of you do great wonders? Can any of you uh, make the heavens with skill, he says in the, in the NASB, or in the New American Standard, um, to him who spread out the earth over the waters? Can any of y'all do that? That's pretty much what he's saying. No, we can't. So he's reminding them God's greatness, his power, his wonder. He is Elohim. He's the one that can do that. Okay, so he, he's reminding them. So, no, we can't do that. No, none of us can do anything like that. So, therefore, everything we see, all of creation, including ourselves, when we look around and see each other, including that, is because of who God is. It's here because of who God is, because of His goodness, because of His steadfast love that endures forever. And every one of those things are displayed in creation. Okay, so simply because everything exists and everything is here is reason to give God thanks and praise. That's what the psalmist is saying. But, but do we look at it that way? Do we tend to look, and I think about this, I think about Instagram. Anybody have an Instagram account? Okay, that's a little thing on the internet where people take pictures and they post them. And people are always taking pictures of the sky, you know, like a sunset of some kind. Do we look at those pictures? Do we see those things? Do we go to the beach and see the, the tide rolling in and, and stopping where it's supposed to? Do we see those things as God's act of goodness? Do we look at the mountains and see the goodness of God in that? Uh, Matt Chandler, he is a, a pastor in Texas that, uh, that I, I love. I love listening to him. He is by far one of my 
one of my favorite pastors. He talks about a time when he and his wife went to, uh, went to Hawaii, and they went there for a conference, and um, some sort of conference they were having, I'm not sure. But anyway, they went out to the North Shore, which apparently is a big-time surfing area, right? Huge waves that, that come rolling in there, and guys go out there and surf those waves and everything. And he said him and his wife, they're sitting there on the beach, and they're watching these guys surf and stuff. And he said, I'm, I'm watching these huge waves. And he said, I'm sitting there, and I'm reminded. It's like God is just looking at me, telling me, I could kill every one of you if I wanted to. He's just that powerful. He sees this stuff coming in, and it's only God's grace that it stops where it stops. Okay, so he looked at the, he looked at the oceans and these great waves that are coming in, and he sees the goodness of God in it. He sees the greatness of God in it. So I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. It, it gave me a new perspective on how I look at the ocean, that's for sure. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, that, that's what he said. And it's, do we ever stop and consider those things? Do we ever stop and just look at creation? And say, man, the goodness of God. I think about this building right here. I mean, this is all here because of God. Only because of God. And if you've seen where it came from, you would know it's the hand of God in it, okay? But it's, it's just cool. It's amazing to see what God has done. And do we, do we ever stop and consider that? If we, we would, it would do us good to consider what the psalmist also writes in chapter 19, verse 1. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We can look at everything around us. You can look at everything around you and just see the goodness of God in it. And that is cause to give him thanks. That is cause to give him praise. So then he went all the way back to creation to start with there to say, look, remind you, hey, this is, how, this is the God we're talking about here. So he goes all the way back to creation. Then he also uh, does that to remind them of God's goodness. Then he moves on to what's called the Exodus. Okay, this is a huge point in the life of the people of Israel. So he focuses on the Exodus in verses 10 through 16. And what has happened here, just to give you a little background really quickly, the Israelite people, they found themselves in Egypt. Okay, they're, they're, they're in Egypt. They're, they are... They've been there for about 400 years, and it started, for the most part, their, their being in Egypt, for whatever reason, rather than being in Israel, where they, they should be in the Promised Land, which we get to that in just a second. But they end up there because they're basically refugees. They're, they, they're on the run. They're having, to, they're having to find somewhere to live because there's this famine that has hit their homeland. Egypt is the only place that has anything to sustain them. Okay, And there's a whole long story behind why that is as well, and that's because of the hand of God working through Joseph and all that kind of stuff to rise him to power, and he's an Israelite and all that kind of stuff. So there's a whole big story there. Nonetheless, they find themselves there. God's providence, God's protection for them is in Egypt. They're there for like 400 years. Okay, The folks that all know all the good stuff behind that situation, they die, and now the people of Israel find themselves, they're slaves. Okay, They're slaves in Egypt. They're in bondage to the Egyptian people, okay? But God has promised them that they would not be there forever. He has told them, you will not be in this place forever. There will be a deliverer to come and get you out of there. Okay, so the, the psalmist is reminding them about that situation. That look, yes, things were terrible. 
They started out good. Everything was good in Egypt. Over 400 years, it got really bad. But you can still be thankful to God because a deliverer was coming. Okay, so he's reminding them about that. He says, don't you remember what God did to deliver you from the Egyptians? That's what he says in verse 10. And he's talking about, give thanks to this God, to him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn. In verse 11, and brought Israel out from their midst with a strong hand, verse 12, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea asunder and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. And then in verse 16, to him who led his people through the wilderness. So all those different things, he's reminding them of what God has done for them. He struck down the firstborn. That was the last plague that God had put on Egypt. That was, the, that was the last one, the one that broke the camel's back, so to speak, where God said, this is it. If you don't let my people go, Pharaoh, if you don't let them go, the firstborn of every family is going to die. That's what he said. That's what he did. That caused them to be released. He released them. They got trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. God parted that, let them go across. All this kind of stuff. Not good situations that they found themselves in, but God was faithful through them nonetheless. So he's reminding them in all those things. He's reminding them of who God is, that he is good, and that he does the things he does because his love endures forever. So they have good reason to be thankful. They have very, very good reason to be thankful. They have good reason to praise God. So I want to ask, what can you look back on now? What can you guys look back on as we're sitting here and say, yeah, man, I've seen how God's been good, even in that hard time, even in that tough situation, even when I lost my job, even when whatever happened. What can you look back on and say, man, God was good through that. God was good through that. For me and Krista, one of the things, and this is just a, a quick example, one of the things for us was, um, that I would say anyway, is we were married for about five years, and we had our first daughter. We had Carly. Great, loved it, everything's fantastic. We decide we're going to have another one, or decide we want to go ahead and have another one. And this is just one of those hard times that, that God brings you through. And Krista got pregnant, and we're going to the doctor and everything, and all of a sudden, nothing. It's the, the, the baby's not moving, the baby's not growing, there's no heartbeat, none of that kind of stuff. And she is diagnosed with something called a blighted ovum. I don't fully understand what that means or anything. All I know is it means the gist of it is egg planted, everything was supposed to be going like it's supposed to, but it, it, doesn't, it just doesn't grow right for whatever reason. Um, there's a lot more technical stuff to it than that because I'm sure a gynecologist wouldn't explain it that way. But anyway, so she's diagnosed with this thing. And we, we never heard of it. We've never heard of this thing. What is a blighted ovum? We didn't even know what it was. So we, like good 21st century people, we go home and Google it. You know, what is this thing? And we find case after case after case after case of people who said, yeah, I was diagnosed with a blighted ovum. And what they do is, just so you know, they, you're diagnosed with this thing, and they say, okay, the baby's not growing, the baby's not forming, like doing what it's supposed to. You need to go ahead and have a, a procedure 
to basically remove it, like if you were to have a miscarriage or whatever. And the doctor is telling us, you need to go ahead and have this procedure done. And then, like I said, we got online and we saw all these different cases of people saying, I was diagnosed with a blighted ovum. I never could get comfortable with going ahead and having this DNC procedure done. Nine months later, we've got a baby. So at this point, after reading all these cases, man, we are, I'm terrified. I'm like, what if, are we about to abort our own child out of just kind of not understanding, not knowing? And that's hard. That, that was hard to be thankful to God in that situation. So what we did was, because we know God is faithful, and we know He's true to His Word, we gathered, the, we went to the elders of the church, we said, guys, we got an issue, we need to figure this thing out, we, get, we need to know what to do. Because we're at a loss, we're like, man, I, I don't know what to do. Um, that's the last thing I want to do is be responsible for aborting our own child. So my heart's heavy, Krista's heart's heavy, and we're, we're just like, what in the world are we going to do? And uh, so we called the, the elders together, and we said, all right, we're going to do, we prayed, and we thought about it, and we said, all right, what, what can we do here? Because um, so we said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give it another week at the very least. We're going to go back to the doctor one more time. Now, this all happened, too, after Krista was in the hospital getting ready to go back and have this procedure done. All right, she's, she's wired up, IVs in, everything. She's getting ready to go back into surgery, and we say, stop. We cannot do this right now. We are not comfortable. We do not know what the outcome is going to be, but we cannot move forward at this moment. So we talked to the doctor. We said, all right, we're going to give it another week. We went back, did some more ultrasounds, did all kind of other tests and everything until we, until the Lord gave us a comfort level to say, it's okay. But until I got that, it couldn't happen. We couldn't do it. And in that, we're like, God, thank you for giving us that peace, giving us that understanding of what has just transpired. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. He was with us through that whole situation, as hard as that was. And even as hard as it was to say, okay, and come to grips with, all right, let's go ahead and, and have this procedure. As hard as that was, we could still give thanks to God in it. And we do today because we grew through that. Our faith grew tremendously through that situation. So it's just an example of how God uses those things. What, what, what is that situation for you? Have you come across one of those kind of situations where it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to get through it. God is with you through the whole thing. And he proves his goodness to you. Just something to think about there. But the psalmist here, he didn't stop with just that situation about them leaving Egypt as well. He continues on in verses 17 through 22, okay? Because not only did he deliver them out of Egypt, he was with them and he led them through the wilderness, but he also took them into the promised land. He got them to where they wanted to go, where he wanted them to get to, okay? This is part of his goodness in all this, Okay, so he, he promised, God has promised Abraham back in Genesis 12 that he was going to make Abraham into this great nation and give him this, this particular land that he had set aside for him. Okay, God had shown it to Abraham. He said, look at all this area around you, I'm going to give it to you. Your people, this is going to be it. Okay, so at this point, at this point in their history, the, uh, the psalmist is reminding them about this situation in verses 17 through 22. He tells them that God took care of all these people that were already in this land that God was giving to them. 
Okay, so God promises them this place to go, but it's already inhabited. All right, there are people already there. So God has to take care of all those people that are in this land already. And that's what he says in verses 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. To him who smote great kings, so he, he took out these great kings, he slew mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, so he's actually naming some of these guys, Og, the king of Bashan, and he gave their land as a heritage, even a heritage to Israel, his servant. So God took care of all these kings that were already in this land, this place that he had promised to his people. He took care of those guys and provided them this land. And it's, it's also important for us to point out at this point that nowhere in this chapter does it talk about anything that the people did during this time. Do you follow what I'm saying there? Where it's all about what God has done for them. It's not because they have done anything to deserve God to do these things for them. Does that make sense? They have not lived up to some standard to cause Him to be good to them. He is good to them because He's God and because He loves them. Okay? That's the point He's trying to make. They haven't done anything to cause God to do this stuff. They haven't earned it in any way. He did and will continue to do what He does based on who He is, not on who we are or anything that we do. You follow? All right. And this is also not to say that any of this always went really well for the Israelites. If you know anything about uh, Israelite history and all that kind of stuff, it did not always go good for them. They, they ran into trouble. They ran into problems. They were disobedient. Um, they had some really, really hard times that... Uh, that came across them, and most of it was a result of their disobedience. Okay? Sometimes it wasn't, but most of it was because they had disobeyed God somehow. But the one thing that was true throughout all of it, obedient, disobedient, whatever, and even today, is that God is God. He does not change. He is good, and He will always be good. His love for His people will always, always be there. And that's why we should do the things we do. That's why we should give thanks the way we should give thanks. It's a result of who God is and what He's done, not because of anything that we have done ourselves. And then I like where the psalmist goes in the next couple of verses. Um, after he goes through this brief history and giving them these couple of examples of what God has done for them, um, he goes into verses 23 and 25 and he makes it personal for them, for these folks. These folks didn't experience all that stuff he's just talked about. Okay, they're, they're beyond that. They're, they're outside of that. And that's why they have to be reminded of these things. So he makes it personal for them. He says in, in verses 23 and 24, he says, uh, talking about God again, who remembered us in our low estate, who remembered us in our low estate, not something else, not something out there somewhere, but he remembered us in our low estate. And then he goes in verse 24, and has rescued us from our adversaries. Okay, so we, we think about um, the, uh, the correlation here of him delivering them and, and remembering them in their low estate. They're thinking back to verses 10 to 22. They're in Egypt. They're slaves. 
They're, they're in a low estate. They're in a rough place. They're in a bad place. They're slaves to these people in Egypt. They're in bondage to these people in Egypt. So I don't know anyone who wants to be a slave like those Israelites were to the Egyptians. But the truth of the matter is we're all slaves. The Bible says that we are slaves to sin. John chapter 8 verse 34, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's all of us. We, we are all enslaved to sin and we're in bondage to sin. Just like the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, we are enslaved to sin. We're literally, without Jesus, we are controlled by it. It, it controls our lives. Um, it'll make us do things that we probably don't even want to do a lot of times. But the sin that controls us makes us do those kind of things. But there, there is deliverance, just like God is good and He provides a deliverer for Israel, He provides a deliverer for us as well. He provides deliverance and freedom that simply can't come from within us. Okay, so this deliverer is needed, a redeemer is needed. Somebody to come and, and bring us out of slavery is needed. And that someone is Jesus. That rescuer is Jesus for us. Okay, Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 8, He said, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then in 1 John 1, 9, says, If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, He, being God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so there is deliverance. There is freedom to be found in Christ. Okay, we don't have to live in slavery and bondage any longer. We don't have to live enslaved to sin. Just like those Israelites had to trust God to leave Egypt, they had to walk, they had to follow Moses and go out of that place, we have to trust Jesus for the same thing. We have to trust in Him for the same purpose, to give us freedom, freedom to worship Him, freedom to be with Him. Okay, and we do that through faith. We do that through expressing our faith and our trust in what Christ has done. That's the only way we can do that. So we thank God for remembering us in our, in our low estate, in our estate of being in bondage to sin. And we know that without Christ and without what God has done for us, we don't have any freedom. But we have much cause to give thanks because He has done so much. Romans 5, chapter 6, or chapter 5, verse 6, says this, that while we were still weak, that's, that's a low estate, we're weak. That, that word could also be translated powerless. We were weak and powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, why Jesus died for the ungodly, but God shows us his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have a lot to be thankful for. God did not have to do that for us. He did not have to send Jesus to die on our behalf. But He remembers us in our lowest state. And through faith in Jesus, He rescues us from our enemies. And all that is done by God because He's good and because His loving kindness is everlasting. 
We have a lot to be thankful for. And then the psalm ends. The psalm ends the same way it begins. It, it ends the exact same way it begins in verse, uh, verses um, 25, 26, verse 26, excuse me. He says, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His loving kindness is everlasting. So he ends the psalm the same way he begins it. Give thanks to God. He deserves it. He is the one who is worthy of our thanks and our praise in complete everything, just giving ourselves to Him. So that the crux of all this is that God is absolutely and completely full of love and it's a love that endures forever. It's everlasting. It has no beginning. It has no end. And He pours that love out on His creation in general. We see it in the creation itself. So He pours that love out on creation in general and then more specifically on those who are His children. And we see that by looking back through our lives and looking back through what Jesus has done for us. And all because, and everything that He has done is what causes us to want to give Him thanks and praise. Now, at the beginning of our time this morning, we, uh, we said that it's easy to give thanks when stuff is good, when everything's happy, when times are, are good and fun and, and all that kind of stuff. And we said it's a, a little hard or a little harder um, when things are not quite as easy. And it's no, it's no different than... Uh, it's no different when it's applied to God, okay? Uh, even the most marginal of Christians will find it very easy to give thanks to God for good things. That's simple. That's just really easy to do is to give God thanks for those good things that, uh, that come our way. And it takes very little faith to, uh, to do that. It doesn't take a lot of faith to be able to say, thank you, God, that this is good. It just doesn't tend to take a whole lot. But uh, we changed that question around a little bit and said, when it gets hard, where does our thanks go? You know, when, when things are tough, when, when, uh, when life is pressing down on us, um, when those times of adversity come along. And if you live long enough, those times will come. You may not have hit it yet. You may not have had those tough times yet, but they will, they will come. I heard one preacher say one time that the day, the day will come when you wake up and wish you didn't. It'll happen. It's just a matter of time. What are you going to be thankful for in those moments? How are you going to express your thankfulness in those moments? You've got to be prepared for it. You've got to be prepared for those things to come. Okay, we know they're coming. We know hard times are coming. The Bible does not shy away from that. It says everything is not going to be good all the time. Okay, Jesus promises us an abundant life. Yes. He also says you've got to die to yourself daily. That is hard in and of itself. Life is not always easy. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Hard times will come. You have to be prepared for it. That's one thing that a pastor in California, a guy named Chip Ingram, he calls it advanced decision making. You're going to make a decision to be thankful to God even before those times hit. You make a decision to do that. You decide in yourself right now, that when something bad happens, I'm going to thank God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to be faithful to God because He is faithful to me. So what do you have to do to be ready? 
How can you make that advanced decision yourself? How can you prepare yourself for that day to be able to say thank you and praise God no matter what the situation is? I'm going to give you a few things here. The first thing, the first thing that needs to happen is your heart has to be as ready as possible. Okay, your heart has to be as ready as possible. And for that heart, for your heart to be ready, you have to be in right relationship with God. If you're not in right relationship with God, your heart cannot be ready for those things and you will not be able to stand. You are, it's going to be, you will not be able to say thank you for those things. You're going to be saying, why is this happening? You may say that anyway, but even behind that, you can still say thank you. Okay, so the first thing is you've got to have your heart ready. You, can, you cannot truly be thankful if you don't have that relationship right with God. Okay, so that, in the, the gist of that is embrace the gospel. Embrace the gospel today, right now. Know and understand what God has done for you through Jesus. Him sending him to die on the cross for your sins. He has paid the greatest debt that you could ever have. He has, he has done that. You just got to embrace it. You've got to trust it. You've got to have faith in what he's done. That's what's going to enable you to be able to say thanks, even in those hard, hard situations. If you, have, if you do have that relationship with God, if everything is right between you and God spiritually, then those things are still going to be tough. But you're going to be able to face them a whole lot easier. That they will be able, you will be able to, to go through those situations much, much easier. So after that, after having that relationship right with God, um, what's the key then to really being ready when those times hit us? Uh, I, I think it's personally as simple as what we read this morning in this psalm. Just reminding ourselves of the goodness of God, reminding ourselves of the promises of God. Look into the scriptures to, to remind ourselves of who God is and what he's Excuse me, what he's done. We have to constantly be reminded. So we have to find those things in the scriptures. So I would say find these things and commit them to memory. Re- go to the Bible, memorize some of these things. And here's a, here's a handful. If you're a note taker and you want to jot these down, these are just some things that you could write down, commit these things to memory so that when these tough times hit, you can weather that storm. Okay, one of them is Psalm 136, verse 1, the very first verse that we read today. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. You remind yourself of that right there, and you can, you can go through a lot. Another one is Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. It's actually a, a passage I preached not long ago. If God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus commit that, what that verse means, what that passage means to memory. God is for you. He proves that through sending Jesus to die on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's one of the greatest challenges we have to face is forgiving ourselves for stuff we've done in our past. The Bible says here we are a new creation. That that old stuff is gone. God doesn't look at that anymore. That stuff is paid for. Jesus Jesus dealt with that on the cross. You remember those kind of things. And man, you can weather a lot of these storms because that's what's going to happen a lot of times is we'll we'll face stuff and it's just the the enemy, it's the devil coming at us saying, look at what you used to be. Look at what you used to do. 
Are you really that much different? That kind of stuff. These kind of verses are what we need to remember. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, for our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not because of our goodness or anything we've done. It's because of Him and how good He is to us. If you've never read John 17, I don't think we're going to put that whole thing up there, I hope. John chapter 17 is called the high priestly prayer. That is where Jesus is praying for you. Jesus himself is praying in the garden for us today. If you don't, if you've never read that chapter of the Bible, you need to go read it because he is talking about you individually. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is praying for you. Oftentimes we say that we have to go through these things and not have any emotion and, and just be like, we have to muscle up and be strong about things. Don't feel that way, all right? John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. He mourned, okay? He hurt. Things bothered him. He had compassion for people. It said that, this, that verse right there is when Lazarus has died. It's one of his friends. One of his friends has passed away. He's there, he's at the tomb, and he's upset about it. He's hurting because of it. Now, he knows he's getting ready to raise him from the dead, okay? He's getting ready to bring Lazarus out, and he knows that. But even in that moment, he mourns. It is okay to mourn. Just know where your faith is. Know where your trust is. Psalm 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Man, that right there will give you some encouragement when you're going through some rough times. Stuff may be beating you down and hurting you, but man, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is where I stand. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And that's talking about Jesus. He is our high priest. He understands Everything that we go through goes on to say, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. You're going through something hard? Go to Jesus and tell him, say, God, I cannot handle this. You will find grace in a time of need. He understands. It's not like he's like, why are you bothered about that? What's wrong with you? You shouldn't be bothered by that. No, he's like a loving father. Go to him. Go to him. He understands what you're dealing with. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we then, because he will never leave us nor forsake us, can then say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So those are just a few things to remind us of the goodness of who God is. Okay? Things to commit to memory. Think about them. When tough times hit, go to these kind of passages. They're going to remind you of who he is and what he's done. So, I don't think we've answered the question, though, exactly how do, we, uh, how do we display this thankfulness in the midst of adversity. So, I want to tell you what to do, as much as I can, anyway. 
So here's what you do. When those times hit, you continue to praise and worship God anyway. Continue to praise and worship God anyway. Because He's worthy, He's good, He's right, He's just, He's righteous. All these things. Continue to praise Him. He is good, and His being good is not based on our circumstances. Okay, His good, He is good even in our circumstances, and He is worthy of the thanks and praise. Keep going to church. Okay, keep going to church. Keep going to your small group, your A-team, whatever you're in. Keep doing those things. If you're in a Bible study, keep going. Stay with it. Stay steadfast in what you're doing. Number two, keep serving. Keep serving. Even when tough times hit us, keep on serving inside and outside the church. Okay, there are opportunities here. Just get involved and start serving. And then keep doing it no matter what happens. Then you may be facing some of these things because you need to help other people who are facing it. God may be allowing you to go through something because He knows that somebody else is going to be going through it and you're going to be able to help them. So look at it as an opportunity, a growing opportunity for you and an opportunity for you to be able to help somebody else in the future. Okay, that's one thing Paul talks about. Don't be so concerned about our own interests. Be concerned for the interests of others. Use your experiences to help other people. Number four, I would say, know and act like your joy is in Christ. Does that make sense? If we've been saved, if we've been redeemed, if we know who Jesus is, then that should muster in us a joy. So why do we walk around so downtrodden and down in the mouth all the time? Your joy is in Christ. It's not in what we're at. It's not in our situations, not in our circumstances, not in where we, we are financially and all those kind of things. Our joy is in Christ. Make people ask you, how in the world are you so joyful in this situation? Now, now I'm not saying you're going to be laughing and cutting up and all that kind of stuff and everything. I'm not saying that. But there should be a steadfastness. There should be a, 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 just a solid belief in who Jesus is that people see and that they can respond to. And then the last thing is keep in mind that better days are coming. If you're a believer, better days are coming. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back, and all this junk that we deal with here is going to be gone. We're not going to have to deal with it anymore. All right, as my mom, this is something my mom used to say all the time, this too shall pass. No matter what you're in, no matter what your situation is, this too shall pass. The bad stuff is going to go. The good stuff is going to go. Life is temporary at best. And if we know Jesus, then we know there are better things waiting for us. So that's just a small list of things that you can do. And I just want to give you some time now to think about that. Just some time to reflect. Think about the goodness of God. Think about what He's done for you, through you, how you have helped other people, whatever it might be. Just think about the goodness of God. So I want to give you just a couple minutes to do that. If you, if you don't know Jesus this morning, it's as simple as just placing your faith and your trust in Him. If you do that, I want to know. I would love to hear about it. I would love for you to come and share with me. Man, I, I understand what you're saying, and I want to have that. And I'm trusting Jesus for it. So I would love to hear that. So let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's just think for a few minutes about the goodness of God.
Lord God, we come this morning as humbly as we know how. Lord, I pray that, that we can come today saying that we are going to give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. That we can give thanks to the God of gods for His loving kindness is everlasting. That we can give thanks to the Lord of lords for His loving kindness is everlasting. God, You have done so much for us. We cannot begin to thank You enough for everything. Even when we look back and see the, the tough times, Lord, we can, if we trust You, if we know who You are, God, we can look back and we can see You even in those times. So, Father, we thank You for always being there. We thank You for providing a way to Yourself through Jesus. Father, I pray that nobody would leave this place this morning not knowing that truth not having a clear understanding of that truth in their heart, Lord. That no matter what happens to them, Father, that you're there. God, in the joy and the peace that comes along with that. That no matter what we face, that we can trust in you and we can lean on you to provide everything that we need. Even when things are hard. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for always being there. Father, we love you. We praise you this morning. And it's in your precious Son, Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. I want to ask you to stand and let's, uh, let's return some of that thanks to our great God as the praise team leads us in one more song this morning. <laughs>